have that. Here's the question. Here's the question that we, um, that we talked about in this series. We come up with a series title called This Is How We Change the World, and we have to ask ourselves, can we actually change the world? And so our answer to that has simply been absolutely, because Christ in me is greater, right? If I've got Jesus, I've got victory. It doesn't mean I don't have issues, because we all got issues, but if I have Jesus, if Jesus is in the picture, anything can change, because when Jesus shows up, things begin to change. Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Anytime Jesus showed up, something changed. Then he found 12 guys who weren't really educated, which is why I like them a lot, weren't educated, poured life into them, and the Bible declares in the book of Acts, they turned the world upside down. Sounds pretty cool. So I'm here to say that you and I and the person next to you, you can change the world. How do we do it though? Well, we've said this. It's been the big idea for our series. We change the world by the examples we set and the daring faith that we display. The examples we set. When we go through tough times, the example we set can speak life to other people. The daring faith that we choose to display, meaning I believe God can save a city. People would say that's naive. I would say no, that's God. I believe God can do what God wants to do. And the Bible says that God is long-suffering, not wishing that anyone perish, but all would come to repentance. So I believe a city can be changed. I believe your homes, your lives, your families, your bosses, your coworkers, your students, the people you sit with at school, God bless you all, can be changed by Jesus. Jesus at the center of everything, it changes it all. So here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to talk about something that you probably will not like. Welcome to church. Yeah, I don't think you're going to like it. Because here's what I believe. I don't believe anybody wakes up in the morning asking for what we're going to be talking about today. I don't believe that when a person wakes up, they say, God, it is so good to have another day on this earth. Please, Lord, make my children behave. Lord, that person laying next to me right now who's still asleep, snoring, drooling, and probably waking up to drive me up a wall. Bless them. Bless their hearts. And God, the last thing I pray today, God, I really mean this. I want to suffer in the worst way imaginable. Does anybody pray that prayer in the morning? Anybody? Show of hands? No? Good. Because I was going to stop the whole service and go, we need to pray for you right now. We need to lay hands on you the whole nine yards. No one wakes up saying, hey, look, here's the deal. I want to suffer today. I want life to fall apart. I want things to go wrong. I embrace it. No, no, no. No one does that. But here's the deal. As a believer in Jesus Christ, as we're going to find out here in the book of James and all throughout this message, you are going to find out very quickly that a perspective change needs to begin to happen when we look at this word called suffering. Because a lot of us, myself included, when hard times come, I'm like, I'm out. See ya. Exit stage right. You're left. No one wants to stick around for it. But there needs to be a perspective change. And I'm convinced that if you get this this morning, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're facing when you leave this place or what you're going to, when it's compared to suffering, that because of a new perspective, you'll approach it very different. And you'll actually find victory in the midst of your suffering. Okay, here we go. James chapter 5. You ready? Be 
patient. Uh-oh. Right off the bat. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. I'm suffering. You say be patient. You want me to stick under this thing? Yep. That's what James is saying. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. What does that mean to us right there? That means suffering will take place until the Lord comes or you go to meet him. It's going to happen. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another. Look at your neighbor and say, don't grumble. If it's your spouse, say it again. <laughs> Got really quiet right there. <laughs> one was very vocal. The other one just took it. Like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Now, then a switch happens in verse 10. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience, have you noticed how many times that word has come up? In the face of suffering... Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is simply yes. Everyone say yes. Everyone say no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. If you're taking notes, here's what I want to speak to you about. Here's the title. The title is The Power in Patience. The Power in Patience. When you are suffering, everyone say suffering. suffering. Be patient. Because in your ability to remain patient, there is actually power. Now, C.S. Lewis was once asked the question what, that pretty much almost every believer probably says. Maybe you've heard this said before. Why do the righteous suffer? Have you ever looked at someone that you just admired because they loved the Lord so much, but they went through so many tough things that you actually asked God, hey God, why do they have to suffer that? Anybody, show of hands, you ever seen someone? It's a valid question. Maybe you've asked it yourself. You're like, God, I love you. God, I gave my life to you. God, I'm serving in your church. I'm memorizing scripture. I'm giving why in the world is all of this coming upon me? I think we've all asked it. And C.S. Lewis's response was so, so good that, that I wanted to share with you. Here, here's what he said. Why not? You ever thought that when suffering comes? Yeah, why not? He said, why not? And then he said this. Powerful. Don't miss this. They're the only ones who can take it. Now, I read that and go, I might actually disagree with that. Because when things happen in my life, there are times when I say, I don't think I could take anymore. Enough is enough. It's been one thing after one thing after one thing after one thing. No, 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 C.S. Lewis. I know you wrote really good books and they made really cool movies about it. <laughs> but I can't take it. I'm done. You ever been done? You ever been just fed up? You ever just wanted to give up? Yeah, all been there. But C.S. Lewis has a point. The problem is, is the reason you think you can't take it is because you're focused on the word you and not we. Greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. 
See, the reason you can't take no more is because you have been taking more. You don't give it to them. So you suffer with all of this stuff by yourself. And you wonder why you can't take it no more. Well, you can't take it because you were never designed to. The Bible says, cast all of your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. God has been echoing in heaven all throughout humanity. Why do you think you can actually handle this suffering? I'm God. You want to do this together? In humanity, through all of their intellect and wisdom and perseverance and quote-unquote hustle, think, ah, I got this. No, you don't. You don't got it. But with God, you do. See, I'm here to bring hope to a situation if you feel like suffering is where you are, that there's a God in heaven who says, I could do this with you. And I've actually already proven it. I sent my son to take all those things that you got going on. He actually took them to the cross with him. So you don't need to have that in the first place. Matter of fact, then I took my son Jesus, and he died, and I raised him from the dead, and he appeared to a bunch of people. And then I said, well, I think Jesus' time on earth is done, so I have an idea. Let's bring him back up to heaven, but then let me give them the Holy Spirit who will lead them in all truth that has the opportunity to walk with you day in and day out. You're never alone. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're suffering, no matter what your trial, no matter what your temptation, you are not alone. There is somebody who's walking with you. So, what does the Bible have to say about suffering? I'm so glad you asked. Let me read some scriptures to you real quick, okay? We're going to get a little lengthy right here because I want God's word to sink into your hearts. Let's go to this first one here real quick. James 4, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Okay, resist, devil, coming. Romans 5, therefore, oh no, go back. Romans 5, there you go. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Let's go to the next one. Romans 5, and the next one. There you go, I like this one. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, everyone say a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials for a little while. Verse seven, these have come so that the proven, what's that word say? Very good, of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise Glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Let's go to the next one. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. Time out. Commendable. Ouch. Do you guys not like that? I don't like that one. Commendable. Suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Let's go, let's go to the next one. A lot of scripture. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, 
leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Next one. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'll just stop there. I got two more, but I'll just stop there. Think of that. In fact, if I want to be godly, I must be persecuted. We don't normally think that way. That's roundabout thinking. Sounds just like God to me. Because God has a different way of thinking. For my ways are not your ways, is what God would say. Let me, let me just wrap all of this whole idea on suffering with, with a key point that I think we need to understand on the process of suffering. I want, you, I want you to write this down. Patience in suffering produces what shortcuts for comfort cannot. I'll say it again. Patience in suffering produces what shortcuts for comfort cannot. Most people don't want suffering. Most people, myself included, we want comfort. We want all to go good. We want all to be well. We don't want any trouble. That's a shortcut according to the scriptures because suffering produces something in your life. And James knew this. So James comes up with this scenario and he gives three illustrations. He talks about the farmer. Look at your neighbor and say farmer. Now here's the thing about a farmer. You got to be patient if you want to be a good one. You got to get the land going right. You got to plant the seed. You got to water it. You got to cultivate it. And then you got to wait for that seed to produce, right? Make sense? Here's the problem. You can't control the weather. Completely out of your control. A farmer can only do what a farmer can do, but there are elements that are outside of his control. Sounds a lot like life. God, his word, my heart. My heart is like the soil. Your heart is like the soil. His word is like the seed. And it goes in your heart. But then there's outside circumstances called the weather of life that just come at it that you cannot control. So James says, hey, here's the deal. Be patient. Be like the farmer. Then he talks about the prophet. What was a prophet? Well, a prophet back in the day would speak on behalf of God. Now, things that prophets would say to people, especially the ungodly and even the godly in scriptures, sounded very ludicrous. And no, I'm not talking about the rapper. Some of you got that. Some of you were like, what? Don't worry about it. You're not missing a thing. Just my opinion. I could say so much right there, but I won't. It, it doesn't matter. So the prophet would come on the scene and say, hey, here's the deal. God's coming. Get right. And he'd call them sinners. And he'd do all this stuff. And people would look at him and go, man, you're crazy. And for some prophets, they'd stone them. They'd mock them. They'd despise them. They'd kick them out of town. James says suffering sometimes, and the example of it is a lot like being a prophet. Because sometimes those around you want nothing to do with you. And sometimes because of your past, they want to throw that at you. I can remember when I was getting married to Vanessa. 
If I seem a little scattered today, it's because I haven't seen her in like three days or my boys, and I don't do very well with that. I can remember when we were getting married, and my precious mom is here today, which I should always say hi to mom during the message. Hi, mom. And it wasn't my mom, to make it very clear, but there were certain family members who were against me doing some things at my wedding that I felt was the right thing to do. And one of them was, is I believed that people make mistakes and that I should forgive. Doesn't mean I agree with what they did, but I forgive. And there was a gentleman in our life for a time that wasn't too nice, that was physically abusive and verbally abusive and mentally abusive and everything else you can find in between. He was my stepdad. And then he wasn't my stepdad. And as crazy as it sounds, as much as life at home was crazy, he actually taught me some things. People often go, man, you got a really good work ethic. I got it from my stepdad, out of all things. I also learned a lot of things that I would never do. But here's what I wanted on my wedding day. I wanted him there. And, I went, and when I made that known to certain family members whom I loved with all my heart and still do, I was ridiculed for it. They were angry. But I made a purpose in my heart that said forgiveness is right. And on the biggest day of my life outside of accepting Jesus, I wanted people there. And I didn't do it with a motive, but I did it with a God motive. Because I wanted that man to know that at his worst of what he did, that me as a believer in Jesus forgives. You know what happened on that day? We, we were kind of, our, our wedding was different. We were up on the stage like this, and we actually asked the, the minister to actually stand with his back to the crowd. Because if you think about it, like the brides, you guys spend like six, seven, eight hours, I don't know, 24 hours getting ready. I mean, it's crazy. Guys are like, man, my, my, my room, like we had Taco Bell, we had Tiger Woods on golf, and we stayed there the whole day. We were fine. You girls were like, oh, we're going to wake up in the morning, and we're going to start here, and then we're going to go there. And, and you wonder why you're stressed out on your wedding day. You plan too much. Show up to a room, get ready, come on out, let's get married. Done! I just don't get you. Ladies, I still don't, man. I've been married 13 years, still trying to figure you guys out. God made you while we were asleep, so just the way it is, gentlemen. So I had a full view. So the reason we did that is because I wanted people to see, I didn't want them to see me, but I wanted them to see Vanessa. She spent the whole day, why would you not? I mean, the whole time, this is how it works. And everyone in the crowd's going, oh, I want to get a picture. And, well, you can't because I got the back. So we had them. We stood. We faced them, and he stood. And I remembered as I was listening to the minister, out of respect, my stepdad stood in the back at the doors. I told him, you come in and you sit down. But he, was, he didn't want to cause a stir. And I remember he, he, he stood there. I got married to my wife. And on the front row was my mama, my dad, my real dad, Jimmy, who was dad growing up, and then my stepdad in the back. Why? Not doing that to make myself look good. I'm doing that because sometimes when you make the right decisions like the prophets do in suffering, you will be judged, you will be ridiculed, and people will put you down. But you do the right thing. And when you do the right thing, God honors and God rewards. And to this day, on my phone at any given time, I can text my, my stepdad. Usually it's when the Raiders beat the Broncos. And he owes me a six-pack of Diet Coke because that's our bet. 
every single time. And he owes me because we beat the Broncos this year. All that to say, <laughs> the prophets, as Timmy comes, the prophet, he encourages us by reminding us that God cares for us when we go through suffering for his sake. So James is saying, consider the prophet. But then he says this, and he makes a really hard turn. He brings up a guy by the name of Job. Who here has ever read the full story of Job? Show of hands. Many of you. Wow, that's awesome. If you've never read the book of Job, and you really want to just dive in on this subject called suffering because you're so enamored by it today, you need to go read the book of Job from start to finish. It's an amazing read. I'll spare you the details. I'll just put it this way. Homeboy suffered in a way you can never imagine. He lost all of his kids. He lost his property. He lost his cattle. And his wife looked at him and said, why don't you just curse God and die? How many of you guys know when your wife is looking at you saying you need to turn your back on God, you better run and pray for that woman. That's the story of Job. Here's the great part about Job. God restores it all. An amazing read. But here's the thing that, we, that Job teaches us. I want you to hear this. You cannot persevere unless there is a trial in your life. There can be no victories without battles. There can be no peaks without valleys. If you want the blessings of God, you must be prepared to carry the burden and fight the battle. I'll put it to you this way. Write this down. Suffering is inevitable, but misery is optional. You're going to suffer, especially for serving Jesus. You're going to suffer because the enemy is real. But your misery is completely on you. It's a choice that you begin to make. As we're closing out our time, there's a scripture in the book of Hebrews that I think is worth mentioning to help us understand this whole idea of suffering. It goes like this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Then it says this, ready? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Here, here's what I think we need to understand from the book of Hebrews right here and this whole idea of suffering. The Bible says that Jesus was able to see what the cross would produce. The joy set before him endured. He decided in his mind that I will have joy Though I will suffer and though it will be horrible, I have joy here because I know what the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension into heaven will do for God's people, for you and for me. So right here we see two things. Number one is this. When suffering, focus on the future victory that will come for doing the right thing. When you're suffering in your life, maybe it's your children, listen to me, do right. Raise them according to the principles of God. If it's in your marriage and you've got issues and it's suffering, do right. Husbands, the Bible says that if you are at odds with your wife, 
that God won't even hear your prayers. If your marriage is suffering, take it to Jesus. Get some help. Get some accountability. Respectfully, stop sitting in services with issues going on and going home and not working on them. You're only fooling yourselves. In your finances, if it's suffering, do the right thing. Put your trust in God. Get on a budget. Get some accountability. I won't go Dave Ramsey on you, but some of you need to cut up your credit cards because it's affecting your life. Stop living beyond your means. Man, I can't go Dave Ramsey. We'll, we'll save that for later on. If it's your health, man, do the right thing. Get some help. Here, here's my point. Some people become so overwhelmed with their difficulties and suffering that it's difficult for them to move forward because they're overwhelmed. But Hebrews introduces us to something that I think is worth mentioning. Joy before, suffering during, victory afterwards. People often ask me, probably ask Amanda too. Why do you love CrossFit so much? It's all you talk about. I'm so sorry if you get in my presence and that happens. Let me be honest with you. I have no idea why I do. It's brutal. I literally go to bed going like, oh, this is going to really stink. This is not going to be good. But then this crazy thing happens and I'll spare the details and all the workouts. When I'm done, and I'm laying on the floor, and I can barely breathe. I literally go, that was the greatest workout ever. Can't wait to do it next time. And I go home, and I get the text message that says the workout, and I go, why? Joy set before, it's just an analogy. I like how I feel when it's over. I like now that I'm actually sleeping better. 37 years old and it may not look like it but, but I have issues in my body and I'm doing it because I have issues and I want to be better so I endure because I love how it feels afterwards simple illustration here's what I'm saying is number two you got to get your mind right when you're going through suffering get your mind right you have to. Jesus, he got, he got his mind right. He was like, yeah, this is going to hurt. Man, these Romans, man, they have perfected hurting people and killing people. Romans were no joke. I, I know we see the movies and the passion and all the different you know, arenas, and they try to actually depict what Jesus went through. The Bible says you couldn't even recognize that it was a man. You have not seen the suffering and the beating that this fleshly God came down as flesh took. But Jesus got his mind right. He said, ah, oh, if I do this, you're forgiven. If I do this, your body's healed. If I do this, you have a purpose. Oh, I got this. 
Jesus, God, it's mine right. I think when we're going through suffering, like I said, it's a, it's a perspective change. You gotta change your perspective. So you might be asking, okay, well, here's the deal. How, how, do, I, how do I get my mind right? R- write this down. First, learn to walk by faith and not by sight. You wanna get your mind right? Learn to walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. You have to say to yourself, God, in faith. I know you're faithful. I know you're good. I know I'm not walking alone with you. I've got this. Whatever your struggle is, whatever, whatever is in your life that you are suffering with, you've got to have faith. Without faith, you're not pleasing to God. So you got to do that. Secondly, you got to find a scripture that matches your struggle. If you've been here long enough, you know that this is very, very huge to me. You will never fix your life outside apart from God's word. God's word is the answer to anything you're facing. I don't mind self-help books. I think they've got some legitimacy to them, but God's word is the ultimate because I don't need an opinion. I need God's word. God's word works. You might call us an old school Bible-believing church. Good. Because I'm tired of fluff. I'm tired of people saying, oh, this is how you fix this, and they don't even quote God in his word. I hate it. That's a really strong word. I hate it. It's called false hope. God's word. God's word never fails. You need to find a scripture to match your struggle. And you need to get that thing and put it on a piece of paper and put it in your pocket. And anytime your struggle comes up, you pull that thing out. That was a receipt. I don't know why I did that. And, and just, I was there. And you got that struggle. You just go, no. And boom. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a lady that, man, I'm, I got time. There's a lady that walks around every morning when I drop my boys off to school. She, she lives here, uh, somewhere, well, here. She walks around every day like this. I saw her one day after multiple times of seeing her. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? I didn't say it like that. Hi, my name's Rich. What are you doing? She goes, oh, I'm just reading the scriptures. I go, oh, you are? I go, well, what are you reading today? She reads off the scripture, except she didn't read it. She said, oh, I'm reading. I was like, oh, that's great. What's your name? So we talk. Every single morning, she walks around all these neighborhoods with scriptures in her hands memorizing God's word. So when I see her, I roll my window down. I have no power in my truck. I row. People come up, like some of you have come up alongside of me. They're like kind of talking. They're like, can you hold on? <laughs> Go ahead. Really don't appreciate you laughing at me, okay? I was saving for a house. Jeez, be nice. I'll roll my window down. Say, what you read in the day? She puts it down. She quotes it out. You know, one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines in the body of Christ is the memorization of scriptures. Oh, pastor, why'd you have to say that? Because it's my job. It's because I love you, actually. What, what What am I saying? I'm saying you need to find a scripture that matches your struggle. And you need to start declaring God's word over your life. That's how you get your mind right. Amen.
thirdly, and I love this one the most, I'll paraphrase it, but you got to get closer to the Holy Spirit. Man, you've got to walk with the Holy Spirit. And I realize some of you are like, I don't even know what that means. Hey, I've got a resource for you. We actually did a four-part series on the Holy Spirit. Because most people only think the Holy Spirit is tied to speaking in tongues. No, that's a prayer language. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, and it's not an it. It's a person. Jesus told his disciples, it's better for you that I go. For when I go, the Holy Spirit will come, and he will lead and guide you in all truth. The Holy Spirit is the voice that's speaking to you when you're getting ready to do wrong that is reminding you of what God's word said that sometimes is even reminding you of what a pastor has said the Holy Spirit is a comforter when you're feeling weak and distraught and suffering in ways you've never done before the Holy Spirit is with you and for you and when you're struggling I'm telling you right now I love my wife with all that I have I don't know what in the world she ever saw in this guy but man I love her she can't even give me what I need when I'm struggling deep. She can pray with me, don't get me wrong, but she cannot meet the need or fulfill the role of the Holy Spirit in my life. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So if you want to walk through your struggles, listen, you have got to see beyond and you've got to do the right thing and secondly, you've got to get your mind right. And when you get your mind right, you do that by listening to the scriptures, by getting it in your heart, by having a scripture match your struggle, by walking with the Holy Spirit. And here's what I'm convinced. When you do that and people see you, you will change the world by the examples you set and the daring faith that you display.